Welcome back to the Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of the Wise Man's Fear and then we talk about it. This is page 302, chapter 41, The Greater Good. I looked up at Simon and whispered, Ivare enim yuge. Sim gave a despairing sigh. You are supposed to be studying your physiognomy. It had been a full span since we had set fire to Ambrose's rooms, and winter was finally showing its teeth, covering the university with knee-deep drifts of blowing snow. As was always the case when the weather turned inclement, the archives were full to the brim with industrious students. Since all the reading holes were occupied, Simmon and I had been forced to bring our books to tomes. The high-ceilinged, windowless room was more than half full today, but still quiet as a crypt. All the dark stone and muted whispers made the place slightly eerie, making it obvious why students refer to it as tombs. I am studying my physiognomy, I protested softly. I was looking at some of Gibea's diagrams. Look what I found. I held out a book for him to see. Gibea? Simon whispered, horrified. I swear the only reason you study with me is so you can interrupt. He pulled away from the book I was offering him. It's nothing grotesque, I protested. Just here, just look what it says here. Simmons shoved the book away, and my temper flared. Careful, I hissed. This is one of his originals. I found it behind some other books buried in dead ledgers. Lauren will cut off my thumbs if anything happens to it. Sim recoiled from the book as if it were red hot. An original? Merciful, tell who it's probably written on human skin. Get it away from me. I almost joked about how human skin probably wouldn't take ink, but decided against it when I saw the expression on Sim's face. Still, my expression must have given me away. That's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. Based on Simmons' reaction and a bit of information that is coming later in the book, I have a hunch that Simmons is related to the Duke of Gibeah, which is why he's so uh, sensitive about it. That is the the sense that Kvothe gets on the next page, which we'll get to. Uh, but this is also a good example of exposition being delivered in a way that does not feel expository because we can gather from context that Gibeah is like an infamous uh, ghoul in the vein of like the Countess of Bathory or uh, Joseph Mengele. Now, Gibeah is supposed to be the place that the, that the Duke rules, uh, rules over, right? Yes, but it's pretty common. I think this is one of those things where the where the name and the and the title merge into one. Yeah, it's the same way that like they refer to like in Shakespearean plays. If someone is like, if a character is like the Duke of Buckingham or like the Duke of Kent, they'll just refer to him as like you know Kent did this, Kent did that. That makes sense. And as we will discuss, you mentioned that he is analogous to Elizabeth Bathory and so on and so forth. But what Quoth has discovered and what makes him particularly interesting is that unlike Bathory, who in, you know, the popular culture is regarded as being a villain. I don't want to prescribe, I don't want to pass judgment on someone who allegedly uh, did all the murder and blood bathing. Who's to say if she actually did, or if it's all just to smear her in the eyes of her enemies in history. But uh, unlike them, um, Gibea is nominally doing it for the greater good uh, as is, suggested here by Kvothe's discovery uh, and may have been an emir, but it seems like Gibea understood that what he was doing was evil, but it was a necessary evil in his mind and that he believed he was doing great good by undertaking these experiments. Yes. To quote a, uh, a fantastic book character. Oh, actually I'm not gonna be able to do the quote properly because I totally forget it, but you know how Geralt's always saying like, like evil is evil thing. Like he has, he's got that thing that yep. he says about evil. Yeah, mm-hmm. that. Pretend like I said that. 
<laughs> well, you have to say the thing so we know what it means. Oh, but I forget the exact words and I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> you know, Jordana, you do have the sum of all human knowledge at your yeah, fingertips. Yeah, I know, but I'm lazy. It's something like lesser, greater, middling. <laughs> Especially middling. I love the word middling. Evil is evil, lesser, greater, middling. Oh, wow. So I did actually have all the words there. Okay, well, that's reassuring. And that is one attitude. But there is another attitude that says that sometimes there is such a thing as the greater good and you can accomplish good outcomes through evil means or means that cause harm. And it's worth noting that the medical experimenters of the 18th and 19th century were not bound by the same kind of medical ethics that we are bound by today. And we would not condone what they did, but we benefit from the discoveries that they made. I think a more apt uh, analog to the Duke of Gubea is the experiments that the Nazis did in concentration camps, which were uh, objectively unethical experiments, but did advance medical science significantly. Well, and there's actually a lot of debate in the scientific community about whether or not you should use the research that the Nazis did. And I think the answer that people have come to is no, you shouldn't. Oh, I hadn't heard that was the consensus. Yeah. I was under the impression it was, this was an ongoing conversation. I mean, I'm sure it is, but I don't, I think that the, the answer that people have come to in the meanwhile is you probably shouldn't. And like Mengele's experiments were like quack science. Like a lot of the things that the Nazi scientists and the Japanese scientists did in their various medical experiments were, were like, crazy and like mad like truly like mad science stuff that doesn't have any like actual useful medical application like you know sewing people together and putting people into liquid nitrogen to see what would happen to them i still feel like that is where rothfuss is drawing the duke of gabea and and certainly uh if not directly from that then around the conversation that arose we actually haven't learned yet Uh, at least not in this chapter or on this page, what he did and why he's so awful, nor do we get it tied together. I think if we're paying attention, we should figure out that uh, we should know that Ivar Enem, Ivar Enem Yuge is the, uh, is the motto of the Emir. Where have we seen that before? uh, Kvothe has found it. Yeah. Like we've we've discussed it before. Oh, Auri says it to Kvothe when she calls him a Kirade. Oh, Okay. She's also the first time we learn about the Kirade. And Kirade then is, is different from the Emir, so... Well, it's just like a rank of Emir. The Kirade are the super yeah. Emir. Yeah, the Kirade are the one who are beyond reproach. Oh, okay. They're, the Emir in general can be prosecuted, but it's the Kirade who are the tip-top of the Emir and who cannot be... They're the mm-hmm. specters. They have the support of the council no matter where in the galaxy right. they go. Oh, completely, I see. I see what you did Completely deniable, there. completely above suspicion. Which, I mean, is, in my opinion, a weird thing for a enlightened space government to Well, to and it, I mean, I think that is the point, because, of course, it immediately comes to bite them in the ass when one of their beyond reproach, no oversight specters betrays them to ancient galactic super evil. I feel like we're getting away from the book. Are we, though? No, that's, that's, that's what's going to happen in this. And I mean, I, I know I'm joking, and so are you, but... I think it's relevant. I think that uh, the idea, it may not be so directly relevant where like Enemir betrays them and, and goes rogue like in Mass Effect, but 
Uh, I do think that we're going to have uh, come to a point where whoever the overarching villain is, whoever the big bad is, will be doing it in their mind for the greater good and will probably have a convincing argument. And we as readers will probably be challenged as to who we we align with. I think it's likely that the Emir are actually being set up to be the villains. Like we're we're being led by the nose to think the Chandrian are the villains, which means the obvious twist would be the Chandrian are not the villains, and it's actually the Emir who are the villains. And of course, it's the Emir who we are told over and over do things, do nasty things, evil things for the greater good. So I think that is a pretty likely place that will end up. Yeah, reasonable. And I think that this book is interested in questions of good and evil and like what constitutes, you know, ends that are, that justify the means used to obtain those ends. I think that if, I don't know if it's like a central theme of this book, but I do think that it's present throughout. And like who is responsible and to what degree for, for the things that happen. Mm -hmm. We talked about this on a, on a recent episode the extent to which the ends justify the means. And uh, uh, if the good means are become the outcome or fail to become the outcome, does that mean that you have actually behaved unethically? Yeah. Like if you fail, then whatever means you used aren't justified retroactively, but if you succeed, they are. So, okay. It's the measure of success that justifies your, yeah, I mean, that's means what I means. understand the ends justifying the means to mean. Like, if you achieve your ends and your ends are good, then whatever means you use to achieve those ends were worthwhile, in theory. Worthwhile, yes, if you achieve them. But good, morally good, that's the question. And I would argue no. I would argue that uh, means in and of themselves, like, even if your ends are noble, you can behave ignobly, uh, unethically and still achieve noble ends, but the mean, or yeah, the means you used. Were yeah. Not but, good but ones. by achieving your ends, you have retroactively justified them and made them good. Right. And I think that it's an interesting Schrodinger's means until yeah, your ends. Yeah. Are achieved, I think right? this is also like very specific like, to a case by case basis. Yeah. I also agree with that when like, I am someone who believes that the ends can justify the means depending on what the ends are and what the means are. Like if your ends are, are like bad or stupid, then no means you can use could possibly justify them. I have but, one more thing, but it's very silly. I I have a less silly thing. Can I jump on your silly? Can okay, I jump okay. Well, let Jeremy do his less silly thing first. Well, because I just think that this this question of like of like morality is relevant to to where Quoth ends up in the frame narrative, right? Because maybe he did something for the greater good and he achieved that. Maybe he achieved that greater good, but there were things that he did. The, the, the means by which he achieved that end have left him traumatized yet again. And maybe the ends had unforeseen consequences and he's grappling with those. Yep. I think that's I likely. I think that that is a, a salient read? Mm, I'm salient as shit. Uh, what cool. was your can we get to my like less fun, or I mean more fun, less logical point? Yes, we can. Hooray. Okay. You know that movie Hot Fuzz? Uh-huh. And then there's the evil guys and they all go the greater, the good. greater good together. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. That. Just yeah. imagine that. 
I've been imagining it this whole time. And that's an example where like their ends are stupid because they want to make their little English town perennially like a parochial 1949 English village, which is a stupid end. And so murdering all those people is not a justifiable means. Indeed. I mean, that's also a, a joke movie. And also I think it hit different to us in North America because I think that movie is critiquing a very specific attitude that exists in middle UK that we probably don't have good insights on. But I'm not saying that even if even if we had that context, it would be justified. I'm just saying I think we don't we lack the proper cultural upbringing to really comprehend the levels of satire. Yes, we only that are going appreciate on some of the satire, but maybe not all of the satire. Uh, speak for yourself. Um, Whatever you're like, some British, right? Yeah, I am. I'm some British by by blood, certainly. There you go. So you, my, you're allowed to know more about it then. <laughs> Yes, the only satire I appreciate is the one that prances with that, a pan flute. That's that, that's, Taylor, yeah. Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The only satire I observe is the delicious meal. Oh, I get it. Although I forget where it comes from, but I do recall it as a meal from something. <laughs> Listeners, we'll leave you to ponder over that linguistic mystery until tomorrow's page. Of the Wait! Wait!